and welcome to Medium Cool, a movie podcast. I'm your host, Austin Glidden, and as always, you can find us on social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Medium Cool Pod. That's Facebook.com backslash Medium Cool Pod. You can search Medium Cool Pod on Instagram and we'll pop up, and at Medium Cool Pod on Twitter. You can also email us at Medium Cool Pod at gmail.com. Please like, subscribe, follow. Wherever you're hearing this, please follow us. Leave us a rating or review. That really helps us. Uh, us as the content creators out, I really appreciate you for doing so. Those who are willing, uh, those who aren't, you can go fuck yourself. Anyways, so uh, today's going to be a fun show. I have Joe coming on. I'm kidding about the fuck yourself part. But anyways, uh, Joe's going to be on here soon. And and in lieu of the, or not in lieu, I think I feel like I say that all the time now. Uh, last Sunday was the Oscars, okay? And so Joe and I decided we were going to do our top five favorite best picture winners. So that's what we're going to have coming up here. But to talk a little bit about the Oscars, of course, the big talking point is Will Smith smacking Chris Rock across the fucking mouth. And uh, as just like a normie white guy, uh, I don't really have any reason to talk about it. And I don't really understand why people are making such a was was about it. It was fucking weird. I agree. Um, I would like to think like, wow, couldn't you have just said that behind the curtain? Um, but you know what? That was his choice. And that's fine. Uh, it's really interesting, though, because also a lot of my friends that are talking about it. They're just like, I don't understand why he did it. Like, it was just like a, a one joke. Like, what happened? And it's like, well, there's actually a lot to it. You know, like Jada Pinkett Smith has like alopecia. And maybe she's like a little tender about that. Maybe that like really hurt her feelings. And then Will Smith is like, nah, dude, fuck you, motherfucker. And then he like slapped him in the face. I don't know why. I'm not one to turn to violence, but I'm also not Will Smith. I don't know why he did it. Um, I also went through a whole thing about like, dude, is this a work? Like, is this real or is this like a plebeian? Publicity thing. I'm of course leaning on the it's real. Um, I have no reason to believe otherwise yet. But it was like just it was just such a surreal moment. Unfortunately, that will be the thing that makes this year's Oscar most memorable. I'm sure. Um, but uh, the Oscar winner. Let's talk about some Oscar winners, rather. Oscar winners. I'm only going to name a few here. Best Animated Feature Film, uh, Who's Surprised, and Kanto, though I was uh, kind of middle of the road with that one. Three and a half out of five, I think I gave it or something. Um, still, you know, it won. That's fine. I didn't see a, I guess I didn't see a better animated movie, so that's fine. Uh, best Documentary Feature, Summer of Soul. That was in my top ten. Very happy that one. Best International Film, Drive My Car. Of course, I'm not surprised. That would have been an easy guess. Best director, very hyped about this. Jane Campion, she was the one that did The Power of the Dog. That was my best picture uh, hope, was that uh, The Power of the Dog would win. And then uh, best actress was Jessica Chastain for The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Uh, Best actor was Will Smith. So, you know, he got called up after he'd already smacked Chris Rock in the face. So I feel like that may have overshadowed his win. But uh, he had a very emotional speech. You can watch it on YouTube. And uh, he won for, um, why did I just freak, King Richard. And then uh, the best picture was kind of an independent film that was in the festival circuit last year that just got a lot of buzz. Unfortunately, I never got around to seeing it. It was never a priority for me to see, though it was like way up on the list, but it was like the last day I, I could see The Killing of Two Lovers, which I was very hyped about, and I ended up really loving and um, also you have, uh, I had Coda, and there were like two or three others, and I only had ch- uh, to, a chance to do one of those movies, and it was also during the lunch break. 
So, <laughs> uh, so um, I ended up going with uh, Killing of Two Lovers because it was like a really short movie. So I almost got Dakota. I will definitely be watching that soon. But that did win this year's Best Picture um, Award. So, uh, I mean, for what it's worth, there you go, I guess. Um, you know, for better or for worse. Uh, we'll see once I see it. Uh, feel free to hit us up on the social media that I already told you about medium cool pod, uh, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, definitely just, uh, you know, let me know what you think should have won best picture. If you agree or disagree with any of these, let me know why I would love to hear about it. Uh, before we get to Joe and talking about our top five favorite os- best picture, uh, Oscar winners, uh, I do want to talk about a little, you know, kind of horror darling that I'm just really in love with right now. And I'm going to talk. Um, I'm going to talk about the Ty West movie X here in a moment. So uh, you'll hear my thoughts on there uh, and then we'll get to Joe. So without further ado, let's talk about X. X came out this year, 2022, written and directed by Ty West, who brought us the great horror movie, The House of the Devil. He also did The Innkeepers and The Sacrament. He's done a few. Um, it was uh, the cast is Mia Goth, Jenna Ortega, which this is just the year of Jenna Ortega, uh, Brittany Snow, Kid Cuddy, Martin Henderson, who does his best Matthew McConaughey impression in this. I'm here for it. Uh, the release date was March 18th, 2022. Unfortunately, I could not fit it into last week's episode. We had it, The episode was way too long. Uh, so I decided to wait. It is in theaters only right now, but I think personally it is worth going to check it out. If it's no, It is no surprise I am a fan of this movie, but let's see how much of a fan I am. Because this film is about... Uh, it takes place in 1979 where a group of young filmmakers set out to make an adult film. And that's a porno, y'all. Uh, in a secluded farmhouse in rural Texas, their reclusive elderly hosts take a special interest in their young guests. And as night falls, the couple's leering interest takes a violent turn. Um, if you liked Ty West's 2009 film, The House of the Devil, X is slightly quicker paced. Um, I love his pacing, by the way. I'll get back to that in a minute. But it's slightly quicker paced, but it's it's more fun. Uh, than The House of the Devil. Though I like The House of the Devil more, I need to rewatch it to see if I believe that. Uh, but in my memory, I do. Uh, however, uh, X, it's just, it's just like a fun horror movie. So X has a certain quality to it, though, that uh, I feel like we rarely see these days. You know, though both films, The House of the Devil and X, are different, I think West, uh, West successfully accomplished uh, what he accomplished with The House of the Devil. I think he does it again here, uh, just in a more, uh, in a way that fits the context for this material better. Um, so, you know, that kind of uh, throwback retro style, you know, he does in both movies. But man, it is executed so well in both as well. You know, as I watched this, and this is kind of just a side point kind of tangent, I guess. But as I watched this, uh, I was reminded of Quentin Tarantino multiple times. And I don't really exactly know why. Because uh, it's weird, because th- this film is nothing like a Tarantino movie, not on the surface at all, especially. But I think there is a quality to it that a fan of Tarantino or someone like-minded to Tarantino, if that exists, uh, would make something that looks like this. You know, it feels completely different. The dialogue and the writing is completely different than a Tarantino movie. But there is a tone to it that just reminded me of something maybe like Death Proof or something. Uh, this likely just 
comes from you know the territory, you know, well done retro horror movie. Uh, but I, I thought it was uh, I thought it was worth mentioning. I, I definitely got that vibe. Again, this is not like a Tarantino movie. I cannot stress that enough. Uh, but it just it was just something that kept creeping in the back of my mind as I was watching it. So uh, as far as the cast goes, I mean, Mia Goth plays Maxine, and uh, she's an aspiring adult film actress starring, um, you know, starting her journey, rather, uh, in a movie that is being created by her partner, Wayne, played by Henderson. And Maxine is such an interesting character to me for some reason. She's, you know, she's very reserved, kind of catty and petty at times, but her look is so attractive. And I don't mean, like, attractive as in I'm evaluating how pretty she is. I don't mean that. I mean attractive as in somehow she always attracted my attention. She always pulled me in in some way. And, and that's a very specific type of star there. Uh, and there's just there's something about goth in this movie that really connects with the film in a big way, I think. But Wayne, on the other hand, uh, her partner is hilarious to me. He's pretty much an older version of Matthew McConaughey and dazed and confused, in my opinion. You know, somebody's older, a little bit wiser. He's seen some shit. He has like some experience. But now he's like still trying to, you know, be that like, you know, high school girls are the same age. Like he doesn't say that line, but, you know, I don't know. He just has like a very that uh, there's something like that about him, but I love this. And uh, Wayne is running the show here. You know, he's the producer of the movie, and he finds a secluded farmhouse in the south where he can rent it as like a vacation home for a week, uh, without telling the owners what they actually plan to do in it. So, uh, you know, these uh, these really old folks that own the property don't know that they're filming a porn in it. Now, Brittany Snow and Kid Cudi play Bobby Lynn and Jackson, ret- uh, respectively. And Bobby Lynn is the quintessential hot girl, so to speak. You know, the one that everyone assumes will sell this porn to the masses, right? Like, just her being in it's going to sell. Uh, and Jackson is like the token black porn star uh, that is used to sell the movie on, like, the taboo interracial relations kind of thing. Uh, but Cuddy surprised me, actually. As a musician, you know, that can go either way to be honest. But, you know, in the in the film like this, you know, a lot of times musicians can be brought in just for their name, you know, uh, and <clears throat> they do a fine job, but Cuddy's actually pretty cool here. Uh, of course, uh, Cuddy has been acting for a few years, uh, so me being surprised is my fault. Uh, but uh, I just thought, you know, I had moderate expectations and he met them easily. And so uh, I also like Bobby Lynn too. Uh, Snow fits that role to a T. I think she's great. And then there's RJ and his shy girlfriend, Lorraine, uh, a.k.a. Church Mouse, as they call her. And uh, Church Mouse is played by Ortega, which I already uh, mentioned earlier. And Owen Campbell plays RJ. And and he was both perfect for the role and kind of annoyed me, and I'll explain. While I was uh, studying film in grad school... There were students that had really great ambitions, all right, guys? And I, I, I liked that about them. I wanted them to succeed, of course, but they would basically be trying to turn a basic-ass commercial into like a Godard film or something, which no one I was there with knew who Godard, Godard was, but like maybe one guy. But my point is, like, they'd be trying to make it like the super artsy thing. And it's like, yo, you're selling a thing, 
all right? And, um, and so uh, none of them would even be close to being able to pull anything off like that, even in a quirky way. And uh, so, you know, in, in, in the same way, poor RJ wants to be a legitimate filmmaker and he sees making this porno as an opportunity to get his foot in the door. And he wants to make this porn like, you know, uh, he wants to make it more than a TNA type movie and a money shots movie. He wants it to be art, too. So uh, that's just a stupid character to me. <laughs> uh, I just don't think that's cool. But I will say, you know, it is a trope of sorts, and I think Campbell is really good in the role. I think as a performance, he does well. I have more of an issue with, like, the writing of the character, maybe. It just seems too easy. It's silly. It's kind of pretentious and, like, self-referential. Um, but, you know, uh, Campbell does a great job, I think. And I, I just kind of hate how phony his character can feel sometimes to me. But, dude, 2022, as I said before, 2022 is Jenna Ortega's year. She was in the fallout that was uh, got its wide release on HBO Max earlier this year. She was in the Scream movie that came out this year, which though I you know thought was mediocre, I thought she was really good in it. And it was the first time I'd probably ever seen her was that movie, actually. She was also in Studio 666, which is the Foo Fighters horror movie that I haven't seen yet, but now I want to in large part now because Ortega's in it. Um, but she was in X as well. And uh, she's probably the most interesting character of the bunch to me, like specifically, not even so much in the movie, but just like character on paper even. I feel like she's probably the most interesting of the bunch. She's very shy and clearly has never seen anything like this before, but she is. Uh, she's there to help her partner, L uh, RJ, uh, with production. So, uh, you know, as the film goes on, she goes from being perceived as a bit of a prude to wanting to actually get involved with the film itself. Uh, which results in the most uh, interesting character shit from RJ throughout the entire movie, I think. But uh, Ortega is honestly really good all the time. I feel like she's just one of those kind of young actors I'm going to keep an eye on. And she has an expression of terror in this film that has since become kind of the promo frame for all reviews. You know, like she reacts to something in the movie and she's the one. Ortega is going to be a star. I don't believe she's quite a star yet, um, but she is going to be a star, and this is going to be her year. That is my prediction. Now, the old couple that I mentioned before uh, that own the farm uh, in which the porno house resides, uh, 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 they are awesome. And uh, they feel like such an old school narrative device, like the backwoods, southern repressed elderly folks, you know, uh, with like a strange history. But Ty West made some really fascinating choices with these two characters. I don't feel like we usually get this kind of uh, interesting backstory or character details. Um, I don't feel like we get those very often in horror movies because, you know, we don't always need to know full backstories either. I don't actually want to more often than not. But West gives these two old folks a lot of history without giving away a whole lot. So there's still like a mystique about them. There's something weird about them. But you get these little story beats. You're like, fuck, dude. Like, I want to know what's going on. And he just kind of like pulls you along with them a bit. And we see this television, for example, uh, that has a fire and brimstone televangelist playing on it the entire time. And you, you just think like, oh, that's just like such a typical thing to do in a horror movie. You make it about Jesus or whatever. But it feels like it's more than that. 
Like, uh, like by the end, you're like, shit, this is like really meaningful. The elderly woman is sexually repressed and wants to feel loved. She wants to feel beautiful, etc. You know, what's her story? I want to know more about that. The old man seems bitter and untrusting. You know, he was in World War One, I, I believe, because this is a period piece, of course. So I think he was in World War One because they're old as fuck. And uh, he's a bit distant, uh, distant and reclusive now. Uh, but he also has a weak heart, so he can't give his wife what she needs because it could kill him, literally. And it almost sounds funny, but I actually thought it was done really well. And uh, it just kind of came off really weird and and interesting to me. That's really just the best way I know how to say it. That couple was just weird and interesting. Um, if you have not seen this film yet um, and are going to, make sure you stick around. There is a post credit sequence, which you can actually find on YouTube if you missed it like me, because I left once the credits hit. Uh, shame on me. Uh, because West is supposedly turning this into a trilogy, which I am totally here for. Uh, and I believe that they're probably going to be prequels, I would assume. Uh, I know that this this one, this next one's going to be for sure. Uh, and I'm really excited about this, largely because this is my kind of fun horror movie. Okay? A lot of people want to watch something that just has a lot of gore. They might watch the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre and go, that movie was fun. I don't think it was. I think that movie fucking sucked. I think it was super fucking boring. Why is it fun? Why is that movie fun? I don't understand. This movie, I can very clearly articulate why I think this movie is fun. And it has everything I want in a fun horror movie. The pacing is perfect. The film looks very cool. The overall performances, music, etc. just fall into place like a puzzle that it doesn't like make sense until you see someone else put it together. And you're like, oh, oh, yeah, this like is better than I thought. Um, you know, I, I have caught myself thinking about this movie a lot since I've seen it, like to the extent that, you know, I feel like there's a good chance, like I might like this even more upon a second viewing because I just keep thinking about it and thinking about it. And this isn't like a thinker movie per se, like it's just a fun horror movie to me, but I just keep thinking about it because it's that fun. Uh, I also think that, uh, this movie has a really good chance of being the horror, the horror darling of the year. Uh, at least I hope so. It could be outdone by Jordan Peele's Nope because he's done it before. Uh, like he's uh, overdone, you know, other potential horror darlings in the past. Um, but we'll cross that bridge when we get there. I do want to say one more thing before I close up this segment here. The soundtrack for X is actually really interesting to me. Uh, there were times where I remember thinking, uh, you know, this reminds me of the Goblin soundtrack from the original Suspiria. That actually crossed my mind. If you're not familiar with how iconic and great that score is, then you're missing out, all right? Um, but it's just, it's not as complex or creative as the Goblin soundtrack, but holy shit, it does not need to be. It is awesome, dude. And that, like, like I talked with Matt Putman before, like, you don't need to get crazy, Sometimes the soundtrack will actually make parts better. It will make scenes better. It will make a film better. Uh, and in this case, it just elevates the movie. Uh, so all that to say, X is a fun horror movie that looks great, sounds great, and does more than most horror movies that come out uh, in a given year. Uh, this will likely be my favorite horror film of the year. Uh, that's my guess. Upon watching it again, who knows? Maybe it'll be one of my favorite films of the year, depending on how good this year is. If it were last year, it'd probably be on my list. Um, if not, if you have not seen it, uh, that just means that, uh, or rather, if if this is not uh, one of my favorite films of the year, at least that means there are good movies coming out, right? <laughs> like better movies, because I like this one. So I am happy to be wrong in that case, but X is definitely an experience worth having. I gave this film a four out of five. 
Though, like I said, watching it again, I don't know. It might just grow with me. Uh, but right after seeing it in my first experience, four out of five, though I wonder um, if it will be as good for you, I am not sure. You'll have to let me know. If you agree or disagree, let us know at Medium Cool Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or you can email us at mediumcoolpod at gmail.com. Now, without further ado, again, let's go see what Joe's up to and talk about our top five favorite Best Picture winners. Okay, uh, so let's jump into um, our top five favorite Oscar Best Picture winners, Best Picture Academy Award winners. Um, we're going to be doing uh, just kind of a back and forth, kind of a brief thing. Um, and by brief, I mean we're talking about 10 movies, so it's going to take forever, but we're going to try to keep it brief. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to let you start, Joe. I want to. I we're going to start. I don't know how you have them ranked. You don't have to explain it. I don't care. But I'm whatever. Not even, def- I'm not even ready for this. I didn't even do this. So. <laughs> oh my God, Joe! I'm just All winging right. it. I'm winging it. We're going to go five. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to go from 1971, just because that's the list that I've got in front of me. <laughs> so for my favorite. So we're just talking about my favorites. Our favorites. Is that yes. what we're doing? All right. Um, All right. Real quick, real quick, real quick. Uh, everybody go to Twitter. Go to Joe Shearer 9, at Joe Shearer 9. Yes. I want everyone to give Joe so much shit right now. Yeah. Okay. You're not prepared. <laughs> Why aren't you prepared? Yeah. Yeah. Do at Joe Shearer on Facebook. He might pop up. You can just start tagging him yeah, and yeah. just just fucking slay him right now yeah. with, with unpreparedness. All right. Okay. Number five. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Rain Man for my number five. Um, yeah, this is as unscientific as hell. Rain Man. I'm gonna. I'm going Rain Man. I love that movie. Um, I, you know, people like to give it shit. Um, I don't know it, today. And by today's standards, I don't know that they make that movie this way with Dustin Hoffman. Um, but I, I enjoyed it. I would call it tom cruise's best performance in a movie um it's a weird it's a weird movie about a guy who's very unlikable um and i really liked it in the end so there you go no (laughs) jesus that's all i have to say um yeah i I really good pick joe really good pick. (laughs) yeah 89 rain man um the the relationship between those two it's i don't know it's for me nowadays it's a movie i can just pop on and watch I've seen it so many times. Um, it, it's a very classic story of you know people who are, you know, a, a dude who's a a raging douchebag who's forced to to not be a douchebag and kind of learns to sort of not be a douchebag. So I I, I obviously identify with it quite a bit. So <laughs> <laughs> and, th- and this I'm is at. your this is your favorite Tom Cruise movie. I mean, wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. Let me rephrase that. I think it's his best performance. It is his best performance. Yeah, yeah. Um, With with all apologies to Magnolia. uh, Maybe Magnolia is 1A and and this is 1B or, you know, whatever. Um, But, you know, like. You fucking better say that. Born on the 4th of July. Like, fuck you. I'm not going to born on the 4th of July. Whatever. Yeah, it's it's Magnolia and Rain Man for me for Tom Cruise's performances. You know, his, you know, where he's where he's trying to do something. Um, resembling real acting so um yeah we're I, I think he most closely succeeds there 
Just, so, just yeah. to clarify, it is not the last samurai. <laughs> not the, no, not the last samurai. <laughs> okay, okay, oh, just making sure. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, the last samurai starring Tom Cruise. I'm like, what's wrong with this? Yeah, movie? I haven't watched uh, uh, Rain Man in a long time, and yeah. I loved it when I saw. It. I'm a huge Barry Levinson fan. He's one of those guys. He's not even in my. I mean, I don't even know if he's in my top 20 favorite filmmakers even. Yeah. But he's just one of those guys that just makes kick-ass movies, dude. Yeah. Not yeah. every one of them. Don't get me wrong. Uh-huh. But like, uh, like let, let me go to Barry Levinson's page. I haven't pulled up here. So uh, he did, obviously, Rain Man. Uh-huh. Hold on. He uh, then he did, so he does Diner in 1982. Diner, yeah. I'm a big fan. Mm-hmm. He also did, I'm like drinking a cider and i'm just like burping all the time i apologize so he did uh good good morning vietnam oh uh-huh. wait fuck i just i missed the natural which i'm a huge fan of the natural absolutely i watched the natural in in uh school i saw uh-huh. it i saw it when i was in a film class mm-hmm. i was like fuck this movie's awesome <laughs> i really love that movie and then you got rain man and then uh, I mean he does other random stuff like toys and stuff, but yeah, uh, but you know he, he I don't know he does like sleepers and wag the dog and Liberty Heights, just like a bunch of like really interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, he also did uh, what's the fucking movie? Why can't I find it anywhere? Anyways, uh, I, I'm not seeing it right now. But anyways, he he just uh, does interesting stuff. I love the way that he, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, like learns or how he tells stories. It's uh, 2009, I think is the movie. What's the thing called? You don't know Jack. Thank you. Okay. It's considered a TV movie, but it's like one of the movies. Oh, yeah, yeah, like yeah. HBO or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. They did like they did like um, Al Pacino signed up for like four movies or whatever. Uh-huh. I can't remember if um, I don't think he did all of them, but it, maybe he did. Actually, maybe it was like um, Levinson and Pacino because he did two of them. The, yeah. the point is, I'm sitting here rambling. The point is, uh, he's cool. I like this dude. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, he's cool. Rain Man's just one of those ones I don't remember it well, but I loved it at the time. And you're right. I, I do sometimes think about watching it again. Mm-hmm. And I am a little worried about it just kind of like not aging well. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. when I was younger, and I guarantee this movie really wasn't that great. But when I was younger, I really loved Sean Penn and I am Sam. Yes. Right? <laughs> yes. That movie is fucking awesome to me yeah. when I was younger. Yeah. And I just like kind of like feel weird watching it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. You know, on this topic, um, have I don't know if I've told this story about, you know, we we have our annual film festival, you know, Evan Dossie, Sam Watermeyer, Nick Rogers, uh, Mitch Ringenberg, and and I, and sometimes various guest stars come drop in. We do our our annual thing where we just like marathon movies, and they're mostly like bad action movies or horror movies or you know, whatever. We we d- we're not watching anything that we would nominate for best. We're watching like Steven Seagal movies and, you know, like worse things that we did showdown in little Tokyo one year. We did just like a bunch, just like garbage that we enjoy watching point break. Cause like, you know, I talked about that, you know, point break was my very first pick for this when we first started this several years ago. Um, anyway, there was, a, so there was a day or, or one year um, Nick's pick was going to be, um, Miami Connection, and I was excited. I was like, "Oh, I've never seen that," and I've heard that like it's really like awesomely bad. 
I was excited about it. So he puts it in and he's like, oh, so he was, this was like two or three years ago and he was getting Netflix discs. Okay. Still getting discs from Netflix at the time. And so he puts it in and starts it. And he's like, what is this? This isn't Miami connection. And so we start watching it and he's like, they must've sent us the wrong disc. So it was a movie called, um, Riding the bus with my sister. Have we talked about this? Rosie O'Donnell basically doing this, playing someone with a who what we now call a special needs person. And it was a TV movie. Andy McDowell was her played her sister. It was embarrassingly bit. Like I guarantee Rosie O'Donnell has actively tried to get this movie not to be played in wide release or shown in wide release or be available in wide release. It oh is God, the cover is atrocious. Look it up. And just watch, I don't know, five or ten minutes of it, maybe. It is embarrassingly bad. Like, she just, she, basically, Rosie O'Donnell just says, does things like, I'd like to ride the bus. And this is, like, the voice that she does the whole time. Half of the, You want to know something sadder, though? What's that? It's directed by Angelica Houston. <laughs> yes. that Yeah. We saw it. We were like, what the hell? And it's so incredibly bad. And there's just all these characters who just hate her for no reason. Like the bus driver is just like, he's just like, fuck you. And it's like, why? Like, she's nice. Like, even if they're like, oh, well, this person, we don't like these kinds of people. Like, she's super nice and she's always friendly. She's, you know, she's annoying. But it's like, you're just, they're just miserable for the sake of like, we want this, the script wants them to not like her. So, you know, it, it's bad. It's very bad. So that's like, is my worst example of that sort of thing. Um, Dustin Hoffman's performance by comparison is far more sensitive, you know, far more sensitive than that. So, uh, you know, I can't, by that standard, you know, I think, you know, it's acceptable. I think the the message that they're portraying is, makes it more acceptable. And in his performance, of course, I think is, designed uh, now obviously it's done things to you know further certain stereotypes about you know people who have the sort of autism that his character has but at the same time i think it, it was doing things to try to keep people who you know to, to, to be sensitive and to, and to kind of promote that sort of thing rather than be hateful and or or make him the object of or some you know ridicule or things that we're supposed to laugh and point at so um yeah. So there, there's actually a moment that almost every time I watch it makes me like tear up the, the bathtub scene where, you know, the bath, you know, I was like, I get like really upset watching. That. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my yeah. God, like it, it hits home so hard with me. But but, uh, it, it, but anyway, anyway, I, I, I digress about, you know, movies portraying people with special needs played by people who, you know, don't have those special needs. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's it's just a tricky line to to walk. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I think some people do it, but yep, tricky, tricky line to walk. Sometimes you're um, Rosie O'Donnell, so you know <laughs> <laughs> that looks real bad, dude. Um, so everyone bad. should just look at the poster. Wow. Yeah, just, yeah, just just watch a clip of it or something on YouTube. I'm sure, and you'll be like, "Good God, it's embarrassing." Uh, so that's number, that's, uh, Joe's random number five, Rain yeah. Man. <laughs> uh, you can look up your next one while I do this one. Yeah, I, um, I found a, com- a comprehensive list, so I'm doing it. 
um all right my my number five uh and at the end i might just randomly list off my six through ten uh because i ended up having too many Uh, but my number five is actually uh for as much as uh i disagree with the director's politics um he made some real good movies this is uh clint eastwood's unforgiven from 1992 which turns 30 years old this year that's pretty cool yeah, and uh, it was written by David Webb Peoples. The cast is uh, Clint Eastwood, of course, Morgan Freeman, Gene Hackman, Richard Harris, uh, Saul Rubinek, and uh, James Wolvett. Uh, you, if you don't know the name, you would know the face, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, release date was August seventh, nineteen ninety two, with a budget of fourteen point four million dollars, and it brought into the box office one hundred and fifty two point two million. Anyways, that's that's good. If you want to watch it, it's on HBO Max. Uh, if me talking about it just makes you really want to see it again. It's about yeah. William Money, a retired once ruthless killer turned gentle widower and hog farmer um, to help support his two motherless children. Uh, he accepts one last bounty hunter mission to find the men who brutalized a prostitute joined by his former partner and uh, cocky greenhorn. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I can't even say that if, seriously, if but ever, uh, he... if, if if we ever do a band together, so like you, you like you, there's a legit chance for you. But if if I ever join a band with you, I hope it's called Cocky Greenhorn. I, know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, dude. He takes basically the whole point is they take on the corrupt sheriff, which is played by Gene Hackman, and of course the Cocky Greenhorn is Morgan Freeman. Yeah. Um, dude, this movie has like a lot of heart, and it, it reminds me of The Shootist, mm-hmm. which is uh, the um, fuck. What? Hold on, I just have to look it up because my brain isn't working today. Well, John well, Wayne. It's it's a John Wayne movie from 1976. Okay. It also has uh, Ron Howard in it and Lauren Bacall, and uh, and John Wayne is like like you know old as fuck at this point. And at the yeah. beginning of the movie, you see all the, this like montage of different movies he was in, like from like probably the late 30s all the way to this movie, just like him being this badass cowboy. Yeah, and then you just see him as this like old cowboy. And in all of his movies, he's always, like, real tough and real, quote-unquote, manly, right? Sure. But then, like, uh, like in this movie, he actually has, like, emotions, and he's, like, questioning his life, and he's, like, showing, like, remorse and regret for things and mm-hmm. all, all of that. But then, like, at the same time, he's, like, still this kind of, like, ruthless, like, this former ruthless but also dying gunfighter. Um, and, and Unforgiven is kind of like that, but like a bajillion times better, I think, yeah. uh, you know, cause Clint Eastwood's kind of doing the same thing. Like he has just lost his wife recently. He needs some cash. Uh, so he does this one last mission because it seems like a just mission. Like these people cut up the, this woman, yeah. uh, this guy cut up this woman and he is going to go fucking Right. do this and get some get his bag you know yeah. so uh anyways he he gets morgan freeman their relationship's fucking awesome mm-hmm. uh, i love that it plays with him being older he can't quite do what he used to do but he's still kind of a badass yes. um, but he's just like a different guy he's challenging his former beliefs and also you never really learn that about him you hear other people talk about him and it makes him it builds his myth right yes. uh so the storytelling is awesome i mean dude this is one of those movies like, you know how you can watch Shawshank Redemption? And part of what's great about Shawshank is it's just like a movie that you can just kind of always watch. And it's yeah. just entertaining. Uh-huh. Like, I'm not even one to call it the best movie. That's I think that's absurd. But yeah, it's like it's, it's just a, a really cool movie that yeah. I could just put on and watch because it just works. Like, yeah. Frank Darabont's cool, man. He made a killer movie. 
And uh, Clint Eastwood kind of did that with this one. Like, I could turn this on at all times. I'm impressed by the production. I'm impressed by uh, the performances, um, which a lot of people look at Clint Eastwood as this, like, great performer. I've never thought that. I just thought, like, and sometimes he's cool. Like, yeah. as a character, like the band yeah, with no yeah. name or, like, whatever. Right. Uh, but in this, he's, like, that character. You know, he plays, like, you can tell he has a past. He's worn. He's weathered. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's, like, a different person now. And the way that people talk about him, it's, like, hard to believe. Uh, but also, like, this is Clint Eastwood as a director who made all of these really killer movies in, like, the 70s and uh, early 80s. And then I would say, uh, with the exception of a peppered few, like, uh, he, kind of, he had some stinkers or he kind of fell off and it kind of, um, I don't know, just wasn't as cool. And then he makes Unforgiven. And it's like, fuck, dude. Yes. Like, you just, like, came back. And then he did a few other things. And then he just starts making, like, Speaking of the Oscars, he starts making Oscar nominee after Oscar nominee. Like once we yeah. get to like the two thousands, mm-hmm. but uh, dude, I I love Unforgiven. Are you a fan of Unforgiven? Like this is a fucking five star movie for me. Uh, I yeah, love I love Unforgiven. Yeah, it, it it is. It's a terrific movie. It's, it's been a long time since I've watched it. Um, I I kind of feel like westerns, you know, during I mean from that time period to today, have fallen off and maybe some with good reason. Uh, you know, I mean, we talked about power of the dog, obviously, um, uh, you know, Sam Elliott, not a fan, you know, with, with you know, not, notwithstanding all that, but it, it's not a genre that we get a whole lot of, and, and certainly not that kind of Western, like the unforgiven is. So, um, that, that was kind of, there's a lot of people that call that like the last great Western. I, I think there's been a handful of them, um, that you know mostly tend to go under the radar, or you know, for whatever reason, other uh, stuff like Bone Tomahawk that was um, really amazing. Um, I really loved Open Range. Kevin Costner was in uh, back in the mid two thousand five or four yeah. um, that area. Uh, there, there's a handful of them that are really terrific, and it seems like otherwise we you know we don't hear much from. Them. Obviously, in the you know fifties, sixties, seventies, even they were very you know very prominent back then and and not so much anymore so um but yeah yeah i'm i'm a big fan of it and that's a strong cast too you know hackman and eastwood and and morgan freeman together man um yeah and and by the way why isn't clint eastwood and morgan freeman why isn't clint eastwood putting morgan freeman in every single one of his movies they've got unforgiven and then million dollar baby two best picture winners so it's like what are we doing what, well, what was he thinking about? Clint Eastwood makes a lot of bad choices, so it's yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he was an asshole um, by, you know, by a million dollar know, baby, and Freeman was like, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, he's um, it, yeah, it's interesting, man, because I I get how someone could say that because I can't think of like a more traditional western, yeah, than this one since mm-hmm. 1992 because they weren't making movies like this in 1992 either. No, I mean, the closest not. we were getting was shit like uh, Tombstone, which I'm not dogging. Yeah. I yeah, used to yeah. watch that with my mom. My mom Love loved that movie. Yeah, but it's like it's like uh, it's not. I don't know. It didn't feel like a western to me. As yeah, yeah. I mean, you I mean, know what I mean, it, it feels different. This feels like fucking a western. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And and I think there are I could are westerns I could argue about. We were talking about the power of the dog, which I wouldn't call mm-hmm. a traditional western, but I would say no. still falls in the category. Yeah. Uh, assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford easily. Uh-huh possibly the top for me since then um they're like a lot of westerns there will be blood 
or mm. um, there's all kinds of stuff. You mentioned Bone Tomahawk, which is kind of unusual, an unusual yeah. Western. Mm. And so there's there's all kinds of like interesting Westerns. But this one actually feels pretty traditional. It reminds me of in 2011, uh, Takashi Miike put out a movie called 13 Assassins. Yeah, I remember watching that. And it's like one of my favorite movies. Dude. I like love that movie. <laughs> Not like top 10, but I mean, like if I did a top 50, it's probably in there. I like really love that movie because yeah. it's like Takashi Miike fucked up sometimes right uh-huh. but actually it's like really traditional in a lot of other ways i mean this is basically seven samurai in new skin mm-hmm. with like much more graphic content you know yeah. um and and uh so you know it's kind of like you know this is this feels more like that traditional thing and i thought 13 assassins kind of had like a bit of an old school vibe in terms of its narrative and things like that not its look or or its graphicness but um Anyways, I don't know why I'm talking about that. The point is, Unforgiven is my number five. Okay. Big fan. Big fan. Give us your number four, Joe. You know, I'm going to go ahead and, and get these out of the way. And I don't know if we want to call this like four and three. If I can cheat and say this is my number four. Um, uh, let's go with The Godfather and The Godfather Part Two. Uh, I mean, just as, the, uh, you know, 73 was The Godfather, of course. And, is, you know, I mean, a, a lot of people call it the greatest film ever made. And yeah. Uh, you know, it, it certainly is, is up there for me. It's an amazing film, uh, Godfather Part Two, as they as made famous in in other in other places, including Scream Two, perhaps a sequel that surpassed the original even. Um, but yeah, those those are two. Just my yeah. God! And again, I will say, go ahead. I will say that the Godfather's on my list. We can wait yeah. for that actually. We okay, can talk yeah, about yeah, it when yeah, we get there. It's higher it. on my list actually. Yeah. Um, and and I kind of I don't cheat. I straight up say The Godfather, but I was going to talk about part two also. So we'll tackle that when we get yeah. there. That's okay. all right with you. Sure. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. I'm I'm 100% on your bus there. Absolutely. Uh, I'll just say my number four. This one shouldn't take too long. I think I'm I feel like we've talked about this on the show, or at least I have at some point. Uh-huh. I don't remember. Um, I feel like we were talking about. Didn't we watch The Apartment? We, we did, did a show on that, didn't we? Yeah, we okay. did a full show on The Apartment. Yeah. Well, um, I don't remember what episode it is, but I'll have to look it up. Maybe I can let you all know. But uh, my number four is The Apartment uh, from 1960, directed by Billy Wilder, written by Billy Wilder and I.A.L. Diamond. Uh, the cast is Jack Lemmon, Shirley MacLaine, Fred McMurray, and several of Wilder's regulars. He has like this whole kind of troop of people that he works with a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the release date was June 15, 1960. It was its premiere, at least. And uh, its budget was $3 million, and it made $24.6 million. And for uh, 1960, that that's good money. Yeah. Uh, it follows Bud Baxter, who is a minor clerk in a huge New York insurance company until he discovers a quick way to climb up the corporate ladder. He lends out his apartment to the executives as a place to take their mistresses, Joe. Yes. Although, he has oft, uh, although he often has to deal with the aftermath of their visits, which sounds very dirty actually but uh one night he's <laughs> yeah one night he's <laughs> left with a major problem to solve and it's not uh it is not fecal matter on the walls or anything that gross um but anyways man there's a lot of bodily fluids that come to mind whenever you use a line like that that's weird yeah. uh but anyways dude i we we talked about this on the episode i won't mm-hmm. kind of go on and on and on about this yeah. uh, i'm actually i'm going to open up uh our feed to see which number it is. And, and I'll, uh, I'll let people know that once I find out which one, because I actually forgot if we did a whole show on it, because we've done so damn many. Yeah. Um, but anyways, it's uh dude, I just, this is the perfect 
traditional romantic comedy for me. I talked about it again uh, at length. It's just one of those. Uh, Jack Lemmon is just perfect in it. Shirley mm-hmm. MacLaine, after I saw this movie, exclusively from this movie, Shirley MacLaine was like a screen crush for me. I don't yeah. know why. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, yeah. I just, like, I just was. I mean, Fred McMurray, of course, was uh, in Double Indemnity, um, mm-hmm. but he's also in this. And yeah. um, I, I don't know, just like that's some serious street cred for me. Mm-hmm. And I just love Billy Wilder. His uh, the way he directs dialogue and actors and the way that they speak. There's that great moment where Shirley MacLaine has that broken mirror. Yeah. And Jack Lemmon says, oh, no, it's broken or whatever. And she's just like, yeah, it looks the way I feel or whatever. And it's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like breaks your heart, you know, because she's so sad. But, dude, yeah. like, every scene has, like, a fucking purpose. It, like, follows every scene. Everything lines up. And it follows that traditional romantic comedy where, like, two people are together, but there's, like, a reason they, like, can't be together. And then at the end, they have, like, a falling out. But then, you know, at the very end, they, uh-huh. like, come together, right? And it's right. that traditional thing. But this does it in a way where everything makes sense, unlike most new romantic comedies mm-hmm. where it's forced, Right. Um, Even even a movie uh, like I Want You Back, which I actually really enjoyed. I don't know if you've watched it. You should watch. Okay, so I I actually like I I, I Want You Back. I thought it was really fun, Uh, but it it does feel like a little forced at the end for me. Right. Like they still don't get it today in 2022 the way a movie in 1960. I'm Mm -hmm. not even going to do the math. What, 62 years or something? 62 years ago Uh uh, did it way better. Like, how the fuck does that happen? Right. I mean, it happens a lot, but I'm just saying like, um, <laughs> but uh, the apartment is incredible. Uh, I can't uh, encourage people to check it out enough. Unfortunately, it's not streaming anywhere at the moment, but you can rent it mm-hmm. um, on all kind of the platforms, YouTube and Amazon mm-hmm. and all those things. So um, I don't you, you're welcome to say something about it. But once you're done, go ahead and give us your number three, brother. Yeah, we, we, we already talked about it. Um, yeah. So I'll, I'll let it be at that a movie I enjoyed and, and I understand why you have it on your list. Um I'm gonna go with, geez, I don't know. Uh, let's let's go. With, well, since you're not gonna <laughs> I hate me, you so fucking much right now. Let me, you're letting me cheat. I was gonna I was gonna like legit be like Godfather and Godfather Two or my four and three, but you're not. You're like letting me get by with it. So let's just go with the Silence of the Lambs um, from uh, from '92. Um, damn that movie! Like um, I I disagree uh, with the with the notion that it's a horror movie people call oh it's a horror movie that won best picture it's like it's not it's a thriller it's a police procedural thriller i mean you know it's it's an awesome movie though um i love the interplay i'm uh you know with uh jodie foster's clary starling and anthony hopkins as as hannibal lecter um it you know it, it spawned some increasingly inferior sequels of course um and you know, and here we are, but that original is something else, man. That's a, that's a film to behold. So uh, Jonathan Demi, I, I'm going to call it Jonathan Demi at his best. Um, you know, he's, he's made a handful of really good movies and he's made some less than great movies too, but um, that that's it. That'll, that'll be my number three. Um, man, that, you know, there's just so much, it's such a, just a, a, a fun, rich kind of, you know, movie of that type of certainly a forerunner to something like seven and you know a, a lot of other films that um, that tried to up the ante there. There when when a film like that comes out, uh, you know where where there's a cop playing you know cat and mouse with with a killer of some sort. Silence of the Lambs is what they're is what they're going for. Um, 
they very rarely get close to it. But um, that man, that's one that I'm not going to um, ever stop loving. Yeah, he yeah he has made uh, a lot of really interesting movies, mm-hmm. um, and I do think this is among his best. I will agree yeah. with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he he made uh, what was the movie? I was just so he made something wild, which I own. Criterion put that one out, yeah. and that's a really funny one. If no one's seen it's it, that's a fun movie. Jeff, yeah, yeah, Melanie Griffith and Jeff Daniels, uh, pretty fun. Oh, and uh, and Rob Lowe, I believe it is, uh-huh. um, who is like really sadistic and weird uh, in that movie. Uh-huh. Or Ray Liotta, sorry, Ray Liotta, Ray not Liotta. Rob Lowe. Yeah, Ray, Ray Liotta, my bad, my bad. Um, and. Uh, so, yeah, but then he also did Philadelphia, which when I had my dad on, that was a movie that kind of like changed his views of like Very a lot weird. of things because, you know, he yeah. was like he just wasn't really around homosexuality or the yeah. AIDS thing like that just didn't affect him on a personal level. Yeah. And then he watched this movie and it just kind of like changed his life. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it just so, you know, I mean, he had some serious bangers, man. But then, you know, like you said, he had. I still need to see Rachel getting married. People love that movie, and I really need to watch it. Um, uh, yeah, I I was I was wishy washy on it. I thought it was fine, but um, yeah, it was Anne Hathaway's big thing, you know, when it came out. But um, yeah, no, you're yeah, you're well, very right about Philadelphia too, though. It, it and it, it did for me as well in a lot of ways. Um, you know, at at you know a time in my life when you know at a, kind of a pivotal time in my life, it it was a, a catalyst for me as well. So I I'm uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, it's good. Um, but anyways, uh, uh, Science of the Lambs is one of those movies that I, I think about and I just go, like, if I watch it again, there's no way I'm going to like it as much as I did before. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Because I just like yeah. remember all the like cool stuff that everyone remembers and quotes and, yes. uh-huh. you know, like, hello, Clarice. Like, people do but, that. And it's like, that's fucking lame, dude. That, and that's then you the, fucking yeah. watch this movie. But then you right. watch this fucking movie and you're right. like, fuck, you're awesome. Like, there's- this is awesome. There, there's so much more to there. Are, this, the thing about this movie is that it's one that I'm not going to let the mainstream ruin that movie. They've ruined so many movies. You know, I mean, you said like stuff like Napoleon Dynamite and, you know, like there's stuff that people overquote to the point of, of exhaustion, but the silence of the lambs, like, of course they pick on, you know, I ate his, his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti and, and hello, Clary. Because the rest of that movie, they can't remember because Anthony Hopkins is so awesome the way he's just like firing that stuff off. He just goes into that, that whole scene about the lambs and this, like all the ways he's like screwing with her. It's such a cool thing. By the way, watch, um, I believe it was, it's either iCarly or Sam and Cat. If, if you like your Nickelodeon sitcom, no. <laughs> they, do, they do an amazing parody of Silence of the Lambs with involving the guy who plays the warden and the actual guy who plays the warden is in the episode and they do this whole bit and it's you know it's something they've they've done this a couple of times they did that a couple of times sorry i watched that with my kids that's when my kids were growing up it made me laugh out loud and they they reenact that whole first meeting including the throwing of the the fluids although obviously it's not the same thing as it was in you know in the, in silence of the land but very funny it was a very funny parody they've done some, they did some good stuff uh, very underrated shows by the way so yeah uh, sperm yeah. sperm is the fluid right that's um, not what it is in i carly <laughs> yeah. um, you know, i don't know it's beans or something I, I don't oh god it, yeah beans yeah <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's like it's like refried beans or something he throws at her. I can't remember what it is. Oh now. God! It's something. Anyways, 
that's a that's a good that's a good what was that your number three that's that was number three. three yeah what's your number three tell me your number my, three my number three is the most recent on this list actually okay. um and my my number one and two will not surprise anybody okay but um my my it's uh it was it was tough because whenever i just really quickly run down my six through ten i think you'll understand why it was tough sure but uh it was joel and ethan cohen's no country for old men okay holy shit yeah. What a fucking movie. Talking about Westerns. Again, yeah. not a traditional, but right. holy shit, this movie. Granted, uh, it wasn't even my favorite film of that year. Right. I was a There Will Be Blood guy. Yeah, There Will Be Blood um, is a very much better movie. But Dude, I love that you think that. I actually didn't know where you'd land on that, to be oh, honest. Man, I feel I love like we've talked about blood. it. Yeah. It's the fucking greatest. I literally, like, I've talked about it, and I think There Will Be Blood might be the greatest film of that decade. That's hard to say still. It could, yeah, it's it could well be. great. Regardless of how you feel about it, like what right. is a better movie? You know what I'm saying? Like just like look at like how it's made and shit. Come yeah. on, get the fuck yeah. out of here. Anyway, so No Country for Old Men though is uh, you know it's it's like less impressive in some ways, but fuck, dude, there are moments in this, especially scenes. Mm-hmm. Like there are certain scenes in this movie that yeah. I might like better than any scene in There Will Be Blood, though. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay. Like okay. just, I, I'm not, I, I'm not making that statement. That's probably not true. But my point is, right. um, but it's like, uh, I mean, like, <laughs> and, and it sucks because this is one of those movies too, where like pop culture can kind of, yeah. like, uh, they're trying to ruin it for me. Sure, you know, because yeah. I'm not one to stop liking stuff because people like it. I, don't, I actually love when people like the stuff I like because then I don't feel like a fucking outsider. Right. But the thing is, like, they play the coin flip so often, where he goes into that like little uh, yeah. dollar store, or whatever, like that yeah. little pop-up shop or whatever thing, yeah. gas station yeah. thank you couldn't think of like words um and he goes to that gas station that scene is fucking awesome dude yeah mm-hmm. and everyone fucking shows that scene and it just like makes me just like god i feel like you don't get why this is cool yeah. <laughs> yeah. like you're yeah. just like showing it because it's like cool it's like this is actually super well done character development and storytelling and just like every that seems so important Mm-hmm. Um, but then there are also other things like, uh, you know, whenever it doesn't show uh, fucking Josh Brolin's character, when uh, Lou Ellen, I think's his name, uh, whenever it doesn't show him die, you know, like he just uh, it shows the aftermath as Tommy Lee Jones, I believe it is. It's like running through the scene or whatever. And you just see yes. him dead. And it's just like these little moments where it's like it feels important, but it's actually not like we're in a different person's like. POV now, right? We're like looking at this from a different perspective. What Mm -hmm. else do you need to know? The whole and plus everything Joel and Ethan Cohen show, you know what happened. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Same thing with uh, whenever Llewellyn finds the money. Yeah, and uh, and you see all of like you know you see like dogs shot up and people Mm -hmm. that are all shot up and the guy in the truck and you know all that shit. It's just uh, I just think it's just really awesome. It's shot so beautifully. I'm pretty sure, if I'm not mistaken, don't quote me on this. There are two movies that were huge at a certain year uh, where they were filmed in the same place. But I want to say No Country was filmed in the same place as There Will Be Blood, or at least like somewhere comparable. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Again, don't quote me on that. I may be misremembering that. It might not be those movies. Um, but I know somewhere else, something else was filmed near No Country for Old Men. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that same year. So I can't imagine what else it would be. Yeah. Um, anyways, the cast, like I said, Tommy Lee Jones, Javier Bardem, Josh Brolin, Woody Harrelson, Kelly uh, McDonald, 
Mm-hmm. I feel like McDonald's so fucking good in this too. But anyways, yes. um, it's based on the book of the same name by Cormac McCarthy. As I've already said, it's written and directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen. It was released November twenty first, two thousand seven, for their wide release. There was a limited release prior, uh, release prior, and uh, the budget was twenty five million, and it made one hundred seventy one point six million. So definitely a success. Streaming on HBO Max. If you've seen it and you don't remember it that well, or you just love it, mm-hmm. hey, just watch it, rewatch it. It's yeah. great. It's to stream. Uh, I think this is. Oh, hands down, my number two from that year. But again, I just want to say this real quick, and then I'll get your thoughts, and then you can jump into your number two. Okay. Is uh, No Country for Old Men, 2007. I still think the last great year in movies was 2007. Like, not that there haven't been other good ones. I think 2013 was pretty good, and there are, like, others. But 2007, holy fuck. I mean, I could name, like, at least 10 five-star movies from that. (laughs) Like, it's you know what I mean? It's like that year where... Holy shit, there's a lot of great stuff. I can't mm-hmm. even do like a top 10 in right. just, you know? Yeah. So um, great year, great film. Still not my favorite from that year, but that just says how good that year was. What do you think about this movie? And then mm-hmm. give us your number two. Yeah, I, yeah, I very much enjoy that. Yeah, it, it's funny because, you know, just thinking about the Coen brothers, the great crime films they've made like that one. You know, there's that one. There's Fargo. There's Blood Simple. There's just... Uh, uh, Miller's Crossing, you know, there's just, there's so many movies that are just kind of, of this ilk because so many of us just think, and even, even I do, I think of them as, as making comedies and and they make great comedies also, but um, they, they make some great crime dramas too, man. And, and yeah, this is certainly one of them. Um, yeah. So that, that, that's, a, that's pretty solid. My, my number two though, is a little less fun, if you want to call it that. And, uh, you know, and I'm going to call back that Steven Spielberg and go with Schindler's List. Um, you know, we talked about movies changing us. Man, that's that's a rough one. Um, I, I'm actually um, my, you know, my uh, I've got, you know, kids who are all teenagers and, you know, they're starting to, you know, they're in school and they're getting history lessons about uh, actually my, my daughter was watching Hotel Rwanda. And she was like, that was insane. I was like, hey, wait till we watch Schindler's List because we're going to watch that now. Um, and it's like, man, you know, it's it's like it's it's pretty much the same movie as Hotel Rwanda in, in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, a billion just, times better. Yeah. Yeah. But, I'm, you know, I mean, like both movies are very, you know, very affecting and, you know, depict obviously horrible times in, in human history. Uh, but, man, Schindler's List is such a powerhouse movie. Um, it. I don't, it, it's insane on so many levels. Uh, you know, the unimaginable cruelty, the, the unflinching way that Spielberg just, you know, recreates all these scenarios and, and situations uh, that man, I remember that, that I actually, they actually took me on a field trip. I was in high school when it came out, they actually took us on a field trip to go see it in my history class. That's and, the most fucked up thing I've ever heard. <laughs> right? Yeah. And we went and I went in high school, watched it on a school sanctioned trip. Um, and yeah, it was in such a great movie, um, you know, in so many ways. And you know what? I want to give, while we're t- speaking of this, while we're talking about this, um, this topic, I want to give a shout out to um, a friend of the show, uh, Galen Ross, whose film Killing Kastner um, spotlights a, a similar sort of um uh, figure in in yeah. uh, Jewish history who had uh, who got a, had a much different outcome uh, in the end. His, history remembers him in a different way because of um, a, a lot of things that are probably not his fault. 
but um, go yeah go search out her documentary Killing Kastner uh, about a guy who was um, a sort of Oscar Schindler um, uh, figure in in uh, during World War II during the Holocaust uh, and, and see why he's not regarded quite as as highly as, as Schindler is even though he did pretty much the same thing um, but yeah that's that's just such a love letter uh, Schindler's List is such a love letter to um, you know the, the the resistance of the Holocaust certainly not to the Holocaust itself that would be ridiculous but to you know to those resisting and those who you know, recognize the, the tragedy and the, the cruelty there. Um, and man, you know, and Liam Neeson is incredible in that movie. Ray Fiennes is amazing in that movie. Ben yeah. King. There's so many just great, great performances. I mean, it's uh, a Spielberg movie from his, pro- like when he said his heights, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So it's just like, I mean, look at yeah. Saving Private Ryan or any of those, man. They all yeah. have like incredible casts. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. I really miss Spielberg doing that style of historical drama because saving private ryan i still love right and uh schindler's list the only reason it's not even in my top 10 is because i just need to rewatch it that's really it's just kind of like i don't feel comfortable because the thing i remember a lot of things but i don't really remember all the context and the like Mm. the stuff in between yeah so i just didn't feel comfortable but it is i i remember it because i saw this probably in the I don't know. It's been over 15 years probably since I've watched it. Granted, mm-hmm. I've bought it on every format of video. Yes. I've gotten since. Like, <laughs> yeah. I still own it because yeah. it's like, I want to like revisit this one day. And uh, I just remember yes. uh, the scene that stands out to me that really affected me uh-huh. is whenever uh, Ralph Fiennes is uh, on a balcony. Uh-huh. And he has yeah. a sniper rifle. Yes. Uh, oh, wait. This isn't it, but I will say this. Actually, I was conflating two scenes, but I'll say this one, too. Yeah. And I think um, Oscar Schindler is in the room with him, and uh-huh. he's just, like, looking around, you yeah. know, and then he's just, like, picking off people just yeah. for sport. Right. Very casually. Like, yeah. Any other movie, mm-hmm. that would just be, like, a way to make him a bad guy. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, this kind of, like, trivial thing. It's kind of like it's the equivalent of someone using a rape scene to make someone a villain. You know, yes. It's just like a cheap, like a cheap thing. Right. But there's something like resonating about that scene to me. But the mm-hmm. scene I was also thinking is whenever uh, they're building a building, like they're building some sort of structure mm-hmm. and a a uh, a Jewish woman uh, walks up and says, like, we can't do it that way. And he's like, yes, you can. And she's just like, no, no, no. Like, I, I don't remember. I'm making this up right now. But I think she was like, I used to do this for a living or like I or my husband or whoever. And right. it's like, no, 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 like, if you do it this way, it will, like, save you money and do this. I don't know. Again, I don't remember the context exactly. I just remember her kind of right. trying to justify something. And right. then just pulls a gun out and shoots her in the head. Yes. Or whatever. Right. And it's like, fuck, dude. And, like, the blood that, like, shoot, like, it doesn't yes. shoot out, like, Tarantino, right? It's just, yes. like, this, like, at the time, very realistic to me. Uh-huh. And the way she drops, she just drops limp. Like, it was, like, the way she died was yes. more fucked up to me. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know, dude. It, it just gets like certain little details, right? And of course, the black and white is incredible. Like, it just yeah. looks so great. It looks and uh, he just used to make those movies and it just seemed like he wasn't holding back, you yes, know? Um, whereas, like, I remember when I was watching Lincoln, it just didn't have that effect on me. I need to rewatch it, but it's like, it didn't have that effect on me. Yeah. You know I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, it's it was not a, as and intense, it, but and and yeah, and it's a and it's a different sort of you know you you mentioned Saving Private Ryan also, it, you know if if you look at Lincoln, it's obviously is it's approaching an important historical time from a different angle, and 
and not, if I can say, not as sensationalist an angle, you know, if I can, if that's the right word. Whereas, you know, we're not seeing graphic depictions of violence and other well, yeah. things at the time. The Lincoln thing is yeah. not inherently fucked up. Right. Like yeah. you can't make Saving Private Ryan and it not be that fucked. You know what yes. I'm saying? Yeah. Or, or it's just going to be some shit movie. You know right. Yeah. Uh, and the same thing with uh, Schindler's List. Like, in order for it to work, you have to go there. Yeah. And then Lincoln, yeah. there you don't. Right. So I get right. what you mean. I get what you Absolutely. mean. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So, so, yeah. So, my um, number two. My number two. Yeah. Number I two. think, yeah. I'm, dude, I'm into it. Again, the only reason that I didn't consider that one fully is because actually it was just a weeding out process. It was like, I have too many on the right. list already. So, like, yeah. I kind of pushed this aside. But this is where we talk about The Godfather, 1972, Francis Ford Coppola, written by uh, Mario Puzo and Francis Ford Coppola. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cast was Al Pacino, Marlon Brando, James Caan, Diane Keaton, uh, Robert Duvall, John Cazale, and many others, uh, many this of which uh, you might not know by name, <laughs> but you'd know the face. Right. How's um, that for a cast right there? Jesus, dude. And, and what's <laughs> funny is, like, a lot of those guys weren't what we think of them now at the time. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, so anyways, uh, the release date was March 24th, 1972, with a budget of $7.2 million, around. It could have been a little less than that. Box office was around $250 plus million. So it made a huge, huge, huge gangbusters. Uh, lots of money. You can uh, rent this. It's not streaming anywhere from what I saw, but you can rent this and check it out if you want. Of course, The Godfather, just one of the all-time great movies. Uh, you brought up the second one, yeah. and uh, which was in 1974, another great year of movies. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, The Godfather Part Two. I, I, the way I always put it is, The Godfather Part Two is like a proper epic movie almost. You know, like there's just this huge right. scale. And I think that is a better film, okay? But I like The Godfather more. (laughs) Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. It's like the differentiation between, like, I just think part two is objectively better. Mm -hmm. But I just love the... At the time, it wasn't genre. But, like, when you think of it, it, there's just something about the concise story and how just kind of... I don't know. It just When I think of the first Godfather, it just makes me think, like, this feels so genre yeah, as opposed to the second one, which just feels so much bigger. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and I don't even know what that statement means because again, <laughs> it's not accurate. But that's just like how I feel when I talk about The Godfather Two. Yeah, and of course, it's just uh, the production. You can sit and you know, I could teach a film class and spend several weeks on this movie alone, just breaking mm-hmm. down scenes. Like it's just yes. so brilliantly crafted. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember whenever I, a uh, friend of the show, he was actually on a couple weeks ago, Charlie Eckenbarger. Uh, I actually uh, was a guest speaker or like a guest uh, lecturer or whatever in his class. And we were yeah. talking about storytelling. And one of the scenes I showed was um, the scene where Michael Corleone goes into the Italian restaurant. And it's where he goes mm-hmm. into the bathroom and he gets the gun and then he like shoots the guys at the table, like the real pivotal yeah. big scene. And uh, man, that scene is, it's such a cliche scene to bring up in terms of just like being masterful because I feel like everyone talks about it, but yeah. that should also tell you there's a reason like, mm-hmm. this is like that scene is just so, it's just so easy to talk about, uh, with its craft, the way that you hear, you know, as Michael Corleone is getting more and more stressed out, you actually start hearing trains go by and, uh, like all of this noise and this roar in the city where he's just, it's like the cacophony in his head. Uh, as he's like kind of freaking out because he's has to straight up kill someone, 
you know, yeah. um, but it's all for his father and the family. Mm-hmm. And I just love the character arcs in this where we get out like uh, Michael who returns, you know, he's a soldier mm-hmm. and he's like never going to be a part of the family biz. Right. But then by the yeah. end, through kind of realistic means in a way, because mm-hmm. his father was almost killed. So he wants revenge, you know, like sure. he wants to help because how else can he help the family? Right. Yeah. So it's like, you know, you have like these little things. Of course, Marlon Brando is just iconic. Uh, but then in two, of course, Robert De Niro is is great as the yeah. younger version of Brando's character. Mm-hmm. Um, man, there's just there's so much, man. You have the fucking horse head and mm-hmm. um, man, even just the conversations between different characters and Robert Duvall, just listening to Robert Duvall's yes. lawyer, just like talk yeah. to people. is fucking mm-hmm. awesome. Yes. God, and the, the way it looks too—that golden hue that just like covers the entire film. Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I just, again, another just kind of five-star movie. Like, what, what can you say about mm-hmm. this that can put it over anymore? It's just the yeah. greatest. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, two of the greatest films of all time. Um, and man, yeah, there just there's some movies. Every single scene has something to offer. You know, there's most movies you watch. And it's, you know, there's a couple of throwaway scenes. There's a couple scenes you might not remember. But man, The Godfather especially, it's like every single scene is memorable in some way. So yeah, you you cannot go wrong with that. Um, And and certainly I can't argue your placement. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) well, I got to say this. One more thing before we pass it off to you for your number one. Because we can get to that. Uh, And by the way, we're making real fucking good time. I just want everyone to keep in mind we are talking about 10 movies, not counting our uh, mm-hmm. Oscar thing and currently we are only uh, based on just this conversation alone only a little over an hour and nice. that is good because we talked about Batman for two fucking hours so that's right go suck an egg <laughs> anyway so the Godfather uh, of course James Conn is just like so great mm-hmm. um, but uh, Sterling Hayden is a guy that by this point was kind of forgotten he just mm-hmm. like no one fucking talked about him the year after this he was in um uh, he was in The Long Goodbye. Why can't, uh, Robert Altman. Uh, Robert Altman's The Long Goodbye has Elliot Gould playing uh, Philip Marlowe, who's the character um, that uh, Humphrey Bogart played in The Big Sleep. And, you know, he's sure. been played many times. Uh, but, dude, he Sterling Hayden's fucking awesome. He was in Dr. Strangelove. He's been in so he was in The Killings, Kubrick's mm-hmm. first kind of breakout big picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a, a film noir kind of heist guy, dude, I love Sterling Hayden. I think he's fucking awesome. And I never knew until I rewatched this about five or six years ago, mm-hmm. uh, maybe a little before then, probably long, eight years ago or so. Um, I've seen it since then, but I mean, I, I realized Sterling Hayden that was the guy. Yeah. Whenever whenever Michael Corleone comes out of the bathroom and the first guy he shoots at the table, it's not to his target. He shoots yeah. the bodyguard, which is Sterling Hayden. He shoots yes. him in the neck, and you see him. And he's like choking and yes. and all this and it, that it, that's like traumatizing. I'm like watching that. <laughs> like watching him get shot in the neck. I remember that was like one of the first times where I just like felt kind of sick to my stomach. That whole yes. scene because it uh-huh. just felt so cutthroat. Yeah, it's so great. Anyways, I can't put over uh, the Godfather enough, and and everyone does. I get it, but uh, I love it. What's yeah. your number one, oh. Joe? All right, my number one. I don't know. I I was just thinking about this, and it's. I don't that, know. Fuck you, Joe. No, 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 no. I I'm, oh, okay, no. I okay. I know when when you as soon as you said this, 
immediately this movie came to mind and i was like this has absolutely got to be my number one i don't know that anybody is going to be able to would be able to predict it and it's certainly not you um but man this movie it, you know we talked about schindler's list being kind of a, a a punch in the gut this movie is the biggest punch in the gut i can remember in many years um and a movie that i love so much i think i can guess it though can i just try go ahead is it spotlight good god you have cor- correctly guessed it is spotlight yes! from 2015 um it's got michael keaton rachel mcadams mark ruffalo yeah we have talked about this haven't we we've talked about spotlight on here before um almost forgot yeah i never love never fully movie. it's just been yeah. on lists like we've talked about yes. it. Yeah. yeah and and this movie absolutely destroyed me um uh, you know as a as a human being it destroyed me uh, you know as someone who has worked as a journalist at varying times um you know in my life it it was i find it fascinating i love a good journalism movie and this certainly is that um it, it's if you're not aware of spotlight it won in 20 it won the 2016 version of the the oscars um with um uh, uncovering with a, a group of reporters from the boston globe uh investigative reporters uncovering uh the uh sexual abuse rampant sexual abuse in the catholic church and there's just a handful of scenes in this movie like the the interplay between the the journalists is incredible there's a and there's a ton of of scenes uh involving actors who show up you know like stanley tucci has a good one um there's just a, a handful of scenes where actors just kind of show up and they're there to for a certain scene um and you know, they, they're like, basically like, this is what happened to me. Boom. You know, this, and it's so affecting in so many ways. The end credits of this scene uh, of this film is something that every single time I lose my shit, I like uncontrollably weep. Um, just watching the, the kind of the, the postscript where they, they go through and they're like, Hey, after the Boston Globe's investigation, they uncovered um, abuse, rampant abuse in these cities, and it and it brings up, oh, Jesus, I don't even know forty. Uh, it, it's just like three, full, you know, like if you're watching credits and it's just like lists of names, three columns just full of names, and then it goes black, and then it, it comes up again, three more columns, goes black, three more columns, and it's just like, good God, this is hundreds of cities where this has been happening, and I just lose it every time. Um, such a great movie it is it is amazing it's like watch this movie it, it's so deliberately paced it, at times it's very tense but not in a not in a action movie kind of way obviously um, it, but it's incredibly emotional and uh, I, I couldn't think of something else that I would rather have as, as my number one than Spotlight um, I, I put it I call it one of my favorite just one of my favorite movies um, and it's something that I, I have a, a tough time doing with more recent films because I feel like your all-time favorite movies should be old movies, right? Like some movies from your childhood or something. But Spotlight is one that just stands out every time for me whenever I'm thinking of like, what's a good movie? This is kind of one of the things where I'm like, it's Spotlight is, is a good movie. It's a quintessential kind of good movie to me. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I I, I do like that movie uh, quite a bit. And there's a scene that particularly stood out to me when I watched it. It was one of those movies or moments where I was just like, oh, fuck. Like I did that thing. Yeah, it's where it's where uh, um, 
God, I just, I just had it up. Hold on one second. <laughs> Let me find. Um, yeah, Rachel McAdams. That's who I thought it was. Yeah. Rachel McAdams yeah. uh, goes to one of the priest's house uh-huh. and she starts talking to him. And the priest straight up just starts going like, well, yeah, I did these things. But like, yeah. I, I, I wasn't being mean or, you know, or what? Right. Like, yeah, he's, he's like, I didn't have that, gratification. So yeah, it's OK. Yeah yeah. Like, yeah. 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 But he's like so sincere and she's yeah. like baffled. And the, the wife or the caretaker or sister, whoever yeah, it is. Sister. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I, I didn't think it was the wife. But yeah, whoever uh, the sister comes out and just like immediately puts the kibosh on it. Right. Yeah. And that scene was like really impactful for it. that's probably like yeah. the quintessential moment for me Absolutely. where it like kind of got me. Yeah. Um, it, and, it underscores uh, yeah. so much, you know, it, it underscores number one, the mentality of that man, you know, the, the insulation that that man's been through, like that he's, he's not even, he's not even taking into, into consideration the, the impact, the negative impact it had on the people he was abusing. It was strictly about him and no, this is okay because like, it, it's not even like a sin because, you know, I didn't get gratification out of it. It was just for this other reason. And it, it just underscored so much. And it, it, it was so illuminating as to like what these people's, what these people's point of view was and, and how limited it was. And it was, yeah, you're right. An incredible scene. Yeah. It's a great scene. Uh, and definitely go check it out. It's, it's one, I don't know if my uh, wife has actually seen this. I feel like we've talked about it before. I own it. Yeah. Um, and it actually, I, to be honest, you're going to hate me uh, uh, for this, but I was actually upset. I would have to see, look this up while I'm talking, actually look okay. up, uh, the 2016 Oscars for everybody. I, I'm sure everybody listening knows this, but it's annoying because like this is the 2022 Oscars, but it's for the 2021 movies, you know, um, yeah. so it's like you have to look a year later. So this came out in 2015, of course, but it's the 2016 Oscars. Um, but tell me what else was up this year, because I remember uh-huh. feeling like this was the obvious Oscar win. And mm-hmm. I was like disappointed because I wanted something else to win, yeah. even though I like this movie a lot. Um, yeah, so right. I wasn't like angry because it's like this this, is cool this was the year of um mad max fury road so that was probably what you were rooting for that year that was nominees yeah the nominees were also the big short um bridge of spies brooklyn mad max fury road the martian the revenant and room yeah so i i secretly i wanted mad max to win only Mm -hmm. because of what we talked about yeah i was a much to the chagrin of Nick Rogers, because uh, uh-huh. <laughs> I think I was writing for you guys at this time, or I had just uh-huh. recently did it, and I remember I wrote about the Revenant being this like five star movie for me, like yeah, easily yeah. best film of the year, uh-huh. and Nick hated it, uh-huh. and he yeah, was Nick just like, "You're wrong," right. yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm like, "You're wrong," like we're like <laughs> you know, like playfully arguing. Uh-huh. Um, but I was mad cause I wanted the Revenant to win. Uh, yeah. but like now that we're long past that year, um, you know, Hey, I'm not going to complain about this movie winning. It's a killer movie. Yeah. Like yeah. you said, it's a good, like, it's an awesome journalist movie. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, um, it, it is what it is, man. I, I'm yeah. into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, my number one is one that we've talked about before. So just to kind of go back real quick, um, our episode 25 was the Billy Wilder Memorial episode where we talked about the apartment, which I talked about. Yep. Um, but this other movie, I'm not going to go on and on and on about. Uh, but it, in on episode 28, mm-hmm. we talked about this one. So only three after Billy Wilder's movie. And that okay. is Annie Hall from 1977, <laughs> despite yes. Woody Allen being a prick. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I can't help it. This is I think it's important for people to understand. Uh, Annie Hall is 
on my default list. It's something I should probably revisit now, right? I would like to redo my favorites list because for a long time I had like my top 75 or something, but the only things that mattered were like my top 10. I kind of kept those uh, there and I kind of had default favorites and my number two favorite film of all time was this. So how could it not be? Right. Because on that default list, Pulp Fiction was my favorite movie of all time, and Pulp Fiction didn't fucking win. So, <laughs> uh, of course, this like how can anything beat it when it's that high on just like my all time list? Again, I need to revisit that. I don't know if my list would be the same anymore. Quite frankly, by the order of this list, I already know it wouldn't. So I need to yeah. revisit that. Maybe we'll do that sometime on an episode. This is Annie Hall, of course, is directed by Woody Allen, written by Woody Allen, and also Marshall Brickman cast Woody Allen. Again, Diane Keaton. So my top two have Diane Keaton. Apparently, mm-hmm. I like Diane Keaton. Uh, Tony Roberts, Paul Simon, with small roles by Carol Kane, Shelley Duvall, Christopher Walken, and so many more. Mm-hmm. Uh, came out April 20th, 1977. Also beat Star Wars, by the way. I really like to yeah. rub that in people's face. Um, it, uh, the budget was $4 million. It made $38.3 million, which I will say is a pretty good success there. And yeah, it's not streaming yeah. anywhere, which I'm not surprised. Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. But uh, you can rent it if you want to check it out. Um, I do encourage people if they can get past the Woody Allen thing. Yeah. Um, we Because that whole episode 28 was also about uh, separating the art from the artist and can you do mm-hmm. that and all that. Listen to my thoughts on that if you want to. Uh, Joe and I talked about it. But uh, if you feel comfortable doing so, by all means, check out uh, Annie Hall. I think it's great. I've already said my piece on the episode, but I will say that this is um, I call this an anti love story. I still put it in the romantic category, the romantic. Uh, what the fuck is it called? <laughs> romantic comedy. Yes. <laughs> Joe. Comedy. Dude, my my fane is just like my fane. See, I can't fucking talk, dude. Like, I'm That's fucked. our show, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks a lot. Jeez. <laughs> I'm like so annoyed. Anyways, um, my brain is not working. I'm going to speak very articulately now. Uh, but no, this is uh, I, I consider this a romantic comedy, uh, but it is kind of an anti-love story. And and like you were talking about how every time at the end of Spotlight, two, these are two very different movies. And it's kind of awkward to even talk about them together yeah. uh, for obvious reasons. But um, at the end of Spotlight, you say, like, when those scenes come up, it always gets you every time. And the end of this movie gets me every time because mm-hmm. there are truths divorced from Woody Allen, regardless of what he did. There are truths in this movie um, that I just find, like, so deeply moving and so deeply effective. I mean, this movie really changed my life. It changed how I look at things and think about things. And uh, so it's it's a little easier for me to kind of separate this from him because mm-hmm. it just has, like, a very different meaning for me, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, this is this is just it. It's super creative. There are animated sequences. There are, uh, you know, like uh, kind of surreal, unrealistic sequences where, you know, people are talking about Marshall McLuhan and then he just like walks over uh, to like a wall, like pulls Mar- Marshall McLuhan out and like just to like prove him wrong. Like he's like daydreaming, basically. Yeah. I mean, there's just like so much to this movie and so much truth about relationships and and people and introspection and. I mean, dude, it's just everything about it. The music, New York, mm-hmm. uh, Diane Key, oh, L.A. even, you know, yeah, uh, with know. Paul Simon and stuff. Again, Christopher Walken. It's just really funny to see him so young and and mm-hmm. be in that as well. Um, and just, uh, you know, it's funny, Diane Keaton being in these two because I didn't even think about it. And actually, I had a student today uh, come in and talk with me. And as I was trying to write something out for him, uh, he looked around. And he goes, you a Harrison Ford fan? 
And I was like, what? <laughs> like, I, I don't think about Harrison Ford. What are you talking about? Right. And I like look around. And I have this like huge Blade Runner poster. I have this like huge yeah. Star Wars poster on my yeah. office wall. I have a book of the uh, the Stephen J. Schneider uh 1001 movies you must see before you die but the cover is indiana jones so it's like you know and i'm like oh shit i have a ton of harrison ford shit around here like yeah. i just like yeah. never realized it and i never realized how much i like diane keaton movies apparently because yeah. i could probably add more here um but anyways yeah dude uh, i know we did an episode on it but you have anything uh a little to say about annie hall yeah no i mean um you know that's again is a, a good movie uh a very solid movie you know we we went into it like you said in depth on the other podcast i would say mostly listen to that um to get kind of my thoughts on on the movie and and woody allen in particular um but yeah no i i can't it's, it's certainly you know even if let's say it like this even if you can't separate the art from the artist as we said um that you know that movie is a, has influenced so many other films for decades to come uh you know the the way that they you know the 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 just the the imagination used to to create that movie is is something to behold so uh it's certainly worth watching for that uh if nothing else but um yeah it's it, it's a great movie um uh, it's one of those movies that kind of unfortunately has been ruined uh if you know for a lot of people anyway because of um, things extraneous to the film itself. So, um, it, you know, feel feel about it how you will um, as, as a piece of art. It, it certainly is, is terrific. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this up. That was my number one. I think mm-hmm. I feel like we talked about some good Oscar picks. I yeah. think I, I wouldn't I wouldn't deny any of them. Mm-hmm. I think they're I yeah, think they're all yeah. pretty good. Uh, this was hard for Crash me, because fuck that movie. Yeah, fuck Crash. <laughs> Watch David Cronenberg's Crash. Yeah, of, that's stupid. That movie's and, fucked up. And back in the day, <laughs> I was actually so mad about when back in the time that it, it won. Within the, uh, I don't know, within a couple of years, I guess. Anyway, um, I, I actually used to do you know back in our film up days, I did a cinema smackdown column where I would put two actors or movies or whatever. I actually did crash the 2005 crash 2004 whatever year it was versus the cronenberg crash and of course the cronenberg crash wins you know based on a lot of things <laughs> i mean it's it's real hard not to uh not to like a movie where uh, a dude basically fucks a leg wound it's pretty cool yep. i mean uh so check this out real quick though just since yeah. we're talking shit about crash this is 2005 uh-huh. movies yeah. Listen to what it was up against. And I know oh, why yeah. you were pissed. Uh-huh. It was Munich, Capote, mm-hmm. Brokeback Mountain, which in my brain, Brokeback won. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Like, that's so. like the movie I remember. And yeah. Good Night and Good Luck, which was your, that's what got robbed for you. My absolute favorite of that year. Yeah. Yeah. And then Crash won, which is the worst yeah. of all of these. Yeah. Yeah. Very easily the worst. Yeah. And it's, it is the quintessential. Oscar movie like when you think of like manipulative like Oscar bait shit that is the fucking thing yeah 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 god (laughs) (laughs) thanks buddy all right see ya all right everybody that was our show i want to thank joe again as always for coming on and talking some shit with me uh i am really Man, you know, we actually recorded this before uh, the Academy Awards. We actually had no idea who was going to win or anything. And both of us were just like, and I actually, we talked about this, but I ended up just editing it out because it was just weird. Why are we talking about what we think should win? This is airing after it happens. But we were both just like, dude, the power of the dog, like that just needs to win. 
So I was a little bummed that it didn't, but uh, hey, Coda won, and I'm glad that that one over like all of the other ones, maybe shy of licorice pizza. You know what I mean? Like those are equals to me maybe, but the power of the dog's the one that stood out. Uh, also, uh, yeah, um, if, if you, uh, I, I'm still curious to hear what you th what you wish would have won. Let me, let me know, Medium Cool Pod, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also email us at mediumcoolpod at gmail.com. Next week, I'm going to have my dear friend, Ashley Donnelly on the show. Uh, she was my committee chair uh, in grad school. She hung out with me pretty much all of my time at Ball State. She became a good close friend of mine, and we talk about her favorite movies, or at least the ones that changed how she sees movies. Man, some of those are really fucked up movies. It's going to be a really good time. We have a lot coming up. I'll tell you more next week, uh, but definitely be here for that one. Until then, good night, good luck, take it easy. <laughs>